So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to be here. I'm Dave. I serve Jesus. I'm a father of three, grandfather of four, all boys, keeps us busy. So when one of my children calls the house and asks for me, it means either of three things. They either have a car question, a computer question, or now that they're older, a house question. My youngest daughter called just last week. She had a headlight burnout and was wondering if I could do something about that. So I changed her headlight for her. Well, a number of years ago, our middle daughter, uh, who was working up at Camp Berea at the time, uh, I can vouch for Camp Berea if you haven't been there, it's a great place, uh, called me up and at, called up the house and asked for me. And she had a car question. It wasn't a typical car question, it was a little bit different. She was looking for a new car and was wondering if I could come and, and help her by test driving it. Now, Granted, she wanted my expertise as a sort of a home mechanic, but also she couldn't test drive it herself because she had broken her foot. Now, being on staff at a, at a camp like Camp Berea, you know, there's a lot of exciting and interesting ways you can break your foot. Um, she didn't do that. She was living in a condo at the time with several other of the female staff, and she was coming downstairs one day and, and just kind of, Missed that last step and landed funny on her side, broke the little metatarsal on the side. And it's a very small bone even, but, but you know, she couldn't walk. And it was a right foot, so she couldn't drive. Uh, they, they were very accommodating at Camp Berea, gave her a, a golf cart to scoot around in. But there was still a lot she couldn't do, so she, she was mostly on, on desk duty. So I went up and I test drove it for her. She had found a Subaru Forester in green. How exciting. And uh, she ended up buying it, although she couldn't drive it for a while. But, uh, you know, she just missed a step. A very small little action and a small little bone and had, had consequences that lasted for months and months. Maybe you've missed a step. Not literally, but metaphorically. You know, maybe you were in a relationship and you said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing and it had consequences. Sometimes they do. Or maybe it was a, a decision you made. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Business decision, personal decision. And again, it went horribly bad. Maybe you have a health problem. Something happened to you that you really didn't, wasn't anything you did. Or maybe you've lost a job. Maybe something has happened to derail you from life. You missed a step, and now it seems like, oh no, what am I going to do? This morning, we're going to talk about somebody in, in, in the first century who missed a step. You may be familiar with him. His name is actually John, but you know him as Mark. John is his Hebrew name. Mark is his Roman name, and for whatever reason, the Roman name seems to be the one that stuck. There's no real section that talks about Mark, John Mark, so we're going to kind of hop around a little bit. We're going to be mostly in Acts, uh, chapters 11 through 15, if you want to turn there. I'm going to be reading out of the, the uh, English Standard Version, but 
it's, it's very similar. We're going to be like, does anybody remember that, that old PBS show, History Detectives, where they would, this team of people would go around and find out about something? Well, we're going to be a little bit like that today. We're going to be detectives looking around a bit and uh, see what we can find out. So we're, we're going to be starting in um, Acts chapter 12, actually. But to, to give you the kind of the, the background of what's going on here, in Acts 11, um, persecution has started. Stephen was killed. And, and, and Herod, uh, seeing how, how popular that seemed to be, he, he uh, had James killed. And um, again, he seemed to curry the favor of some of the people. So he arrested Peter and threw him in jail. And so Peter's in jail, and this is a, a story, I'm not going to read it, but you'll probably remember it, where he was released miraculously by an angel and uh, didn't really believe it. <laughs> he thought maybe he was dreaming. But uh, actually in chapter 11, verse 11, it says, when, when Peter, uh, actually 12, chapter 12, verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people. Oh, that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where they were gathered together and were praying. So the house of Mary. Now, Mary was a common name at the time, and so in order to differentiate her from the other Marys around, this is Mary, the mother of John, who's also called Mark. And if you remember at the time, in, in, in this early, early uh, century, uh, they didn't have church buildings. They, they met in people's homes, and they were generally larger homes. And so, so they were probably fairly well off, and this was one of those house churches, if you will, and, and uh, probably the hub of activity. Um, maybe, maybe this was where they went to pray all the time. Perhaps this was where they had the, the you know, gathered together at Pentecost. Who knows? Um, but this was clearly a... a a hub, because when Peter came out of, of prison, this is where he went. And it was where John Mark grew up. Imagine with me for a minute what it would be like to not go to church, but to have church come to you, come to your house. And not just, not just the local believers, but other people. So, so somebody big is in town and they come and visit here. Imagine, imagine having Billy Graham or Andy Stanley show up at your church for dinner or a prayer meeting. Must have been exciting. And this is the home that, that John Mark grew up in. And he came to know Christ. And he gave his life to Christ. There were also a couple other people here um, in Antioch, which is where the, the, uh, the followers were first called Christians, the Bible tells us. Uh, we have Saul and Barnabas, Paul. And they had heard that the people in Judea had... Um, had a famine and were uh, having trouble with food. So they took up a collection and they were designated as the ones to come and bring it. And this is where they ended up bringing it to this, to this house. So they were there as well. And if we hop down in chapter 12 to verse 25, we see that after they had delivered this, um, this offering, this, this uh, helpful collection, it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem where they had completed their service, service of bringing this money, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So while they were staying here at Mary's house, they must have seen something in Mark 
that looked promising. And they took him back to Antioch with them, maybe as a, a disciple somebody in training with them. And while they were there, a prophet spoke uh, to the church and said, I want you to send these guys out on a missionary journey. So going into chapter 13, verse 4, it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down. This is Barnabas and Saul. They went down to Seleucia. From there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. So this is John, also called Mark. So they took him along, as a, as again, as a... As a trainee, as a mentee, uh, training him in ministry. And they saw some great things happen. I mean, there was this whole story, I'm not going to read it, but there's a story about a false prophet, Bar-Jesus. There was a magician who opposed them. I mean, they, had, they, they confronted evil. They proclaimed the word of God. Things were going well. And then we get down to chapter 13, verse 13. It says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. That sounds like a pretty neutral statement. John left, went back to Jerusalem, went home. Doesn't say why. But it turns out this was a misstep for him. We can speculate. Maybe he was homesick. He was probably a fairly young guy still. Maybe he had some theological issues. You notice, as you're reading this, sort of Paul becomes more important and Barnabas becomes less important. And as it turns out, Mark was Barnabas's cousin. So maybe he felt like it wasn't fair to Barnabas. I don't know. Most likely, and this is, this is what I think, most likely he was scared because this area, Pergo and Pamphylia, was known for its lawlessness. Bandits, you, you took your life in your hands literally traveling from one village or town to the next because there were a lot of bandits on the roads. And, and, and maybe it was very dangerous. And, and he perhaps got kind of scared by that and decided, I can't take this. And he went home. And just to amplify that this was a big deal, if we hop over to chapter 15... Chapter 15, verse 36. After this first missionary journey is over, and they're now back in Antioch, and they decide, Paul and Barnabas decide, you know, let's, let's go do a second journey. Let's go around and visit some of the places we've been to and see how they're doing. I see how the churches are doing. And so we read this in, in 15, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed. So this actually broke up the, the Paul-Barnabas team. And the Greek word used here for sharp disagreement is a very strong word. They, they had an argument. They had a fight. You can almost imagine it. Paul, I'm not taking Mark. He abandoned us. He left us in the lurch. 
Mark was probably, as sort of the trainee, he was probably responsible for a lot of the logistical issues, getting food and travel arrangements. He, he left us. I don't want to take him. He's unreliable. Barnabas, oh, give him a chance. He was just a kid. No. And they broke up the team, and they, they each picked another person, and off they went. And Barnabas and Mark disappear from Acts. We don't see them again in Acts. We see a lot about Paul and Silas. Was this the end? Well, no, it's not the end for Mark. Number one, we've got the gospel that was written by him. Many scholars believe it was the first gospel written and that actually Matthew and Luke used it as source material when they were writing theirs. This is a foundational, this, this guy wrote one of the foundational documents of, of our New Testament. And then in Colossians, we see this. It's kind of a curious statement. Colossians 4.10, Paul recommends Mark to them. He says he's helpful. And then in 2 Timothy, he writes this. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. Says the guy he didn't want to have anything to do with. What happened? What changed? What made the difference? Well, because we follow Christ, we always have to say God made the difference, and he absolutely did. But I think Barnabas also made a difference. Because when God, when God deals with us and interacts with us and encourages us and teaches us and helps us, it's often through other people. You notice that? I mean, there are times, sure, when you read your scriptures or you're praying and, and he touches you, but a lot of times it comes through somebody else. And in this case, I think it came through Barnabas. Mark had missed a step, but Barnabas came alongside him as an encouragement. And, you know, God wasn't done with Mark yet. He had something else he wanted to do with him, through him, in him. And so he used Barnabas to come along. It's not, it's not whether you fail in life. It's how you, how you come back. It's how you recover that makes the difference. God doesn't leave us in our failures. He picks us up, he dusts us off, and he, and he sets us back on our feet. And when Barnabas came along with him and had confidence in him and said, you can come with, let's go on our missionary journey. I believe in you. That was redemptive. You know, it was the ultimate. It was the ultimate coming alongside and encouraging and redeeming when we looked to Jesus. God came down here. He didn't have to. He came down here and died for us, came alongside us, became one of us to redeem us and set us on our feet. And when we, through his power and through the power of the Holy Spirit, come alongside others, it's redemptive. So what can we take home from this story of John Mark? Well, I'm going to talk to two groups here, and you know, you know who you are. <laughs> if, you've, if you're the one who's missed a step, and you're feeling like the wind's been knocked out of you. I was actually thinking about this. Has anybody, has anybody had the wind knocked out of you? I remember once I was a kid, I was on a swing set, and I fell off the swing, landed flat on my back. And literally, 
you can't breathe for a moment. I, I, I don't know the medical thing. I think you, you send your diaphragm into a spasm, as I, I think is what it is. But, but you, you basically stand up and it's like, uh, uh, you can't breathe. And then eventually it, it relaxes and you can breathe again. It's, you literally get the wind knocked out of you. Maybe you've had the wind knocked out of you. It feels like that. I want to tell you this morning that God knows exactly what you're going through. He knows where you've been. He knows where you are. You know, there's that verse in Romans that, that unfortunately gets kind of overused sometimes, that all things work for good for those who are called according to his purposes. It's actually true. Even though it, it sometimes is hard to hear when you're in the middle of a, of a problem, it, it actually is true. It does work out. God uses even our failures to bring about his purposes and good for us. So if you've, had, if you've missed a step, turn to God. Listen to him. And if you haven't, I want to encourage you to be a Barnabas. You know Barnabas' name is actually Joseph? Barnabas is a nickname. I have an uncle, William, but he's always gone by the nickname Whitey because he had really light hair when he was little. Barnabas actually means son of encouragement. He was <coughs> such an encourager that we only know him pretty much as Barnabas, the encourager. So maybe you could be a, a son or a daughter of encouragement to somebody around you. Maybe God can use you to help set somebody back on their feet after they've missed a step. You know, words of encouragement, mentoring, friendship, cup of coffee, just coming alongside and saying, hey, you want to talk? Phone call, email. These are redemptive acts. They're don't underestimate the power that just reaching out to somebody can have when the Holy Spirit's behind it and when somebody really needs to hear it. Really needs to know that just somebody else is here. Somebody else is with me in this problem. And if you're the one who's missed a step, I want to encourage you. This, there's something that happens when you feel, when you're down, is we want to, we want to kind of, what do they call it these days? Cocooning, right? You, you want to kind of close yourself off and kind of, kind of hide from the world. And there's a danger in, in, in isolation. Bitterness can start to grow and it can start to build this box around you that then makes it harder and harder for others to speak into your life, for, for you to hear the encouragement. And I want to encourage you, if, if you're there, don't let that bitterness grow. But let that Barnabas reach out to you and say, hey, how about a cup of coffee? Sure. You know, the good news is that God didn't just give us a ticket to heaven. Well, redemption is that, sure. He saved us from consequences, ultimate cosmic consequences, but, but he also wants to give us, what did Jesus say? I came to give you life and life abundantly. He doesn't want us to stay in, the, in our messes. He wants to pick us up and get us going again. And he wants to use others to do it. First Thessalonians 5.11, you heard, you heard it read. It's just an encouragement. 
short, right? Encourage one another, build one another up, just as you're doing. Just want to close by reminding you of a story you, you probably remember. It's at the end of John, John chapter 21. Another person who had missed a step, Peter. One of Jesus' closest. Peter, James, and John. He was one of the inner three, inner, inner circle. And yet, as you remember, on the night that Jesus was, was, was taken before the council, Peter denied that he knew him, and Jesus had predicted he was going to do that. And Peter felt a complete sense of failure. So what we see here in chapter 21 is that he's gone back to fishing. That's what his vocation was. I don't know what was in his mind. Maybe he, maybe he figured, you know what? I'm not so good at this fishers and men thing. I can do fish. Let's go fishing. There's comfort in doing what you know you can do. And Jesus came along. You know the story. Jesus came along and he, and he, he had some fish. We don't know where they came from, but he had some fish. And he was cooking it, and he called to them, and Peter recognized him. There was something familiar about this because it had happened before. And so he came, and he was, he was glad to see the resurrected Jesus. And so when they were done fishing, they, they had, you know, breakfast already because Jesus had made it. And when they had finished breakfast, chapter 21, verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? probably meaning the fish. And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it the third time. He says, Do you... Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter had denied three times that he even knew who Jesus was. He had failed as a follower. And Jesus comes back now and three times has him affirm that he wants him to serve him in a very special way. He wasn't done with Peter yet. Three times to match the three, the three failures. You see, he wasn't done with Peter. He's not done with any of us. He wants to pick us up, dust us off, breathe new wind into us, and send us out. Because he's got something for us. Not only does he want us to serve him, and he's got great things to accomplish, but he, has, he wants us whole. He does not want us living in discouragement. So brothers and sisters in Christ, encourage one another. Would you pray with me, please? Gracious Father in heaven, you know each one of us. You know where we are, what we're walking through. We thank you for the story of John Mark and how you picked him up and used him in great and mighty ways and encouraged him after failure in ministry. 
Father, be gracious to us. Give us eyes to those around us so that we may see when a word of encouragement would be helpful. And give us boldness to to reach out with those words. Father, I ask that you would bind this, this community of believers together in stronger and better ways as they reflect you and your love in this area. In Jesus' name, amen.